Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to the Coffee Clash. I am absolutely honored to introduce Helen Erlin, our special guest tonight. And I'm excited to bring you all information about this largely unknown and undiagnosed disorder called Erlin syndrome. We're going to be talking with Helen and how her simple method is transforming the lives of children and adults, even for people with conditions other than Erlin syndrome, which is really exciting. Helen Erlin is a pioneer and global leader in the area of visual processing problems and an internationally recognized educator, researcher, and scholar. She has been in the field of education for more than 40 years and has worked as a school psychologist, a licensed child and family therapist, an educational therapist, a board-certified professional counselor, and is the founder and director of the Adult Learning Disabilities Program at California State University, Long Beach. She is founder and executive director of the Erlin Institute, which has more than 174, or I guess 174 affiliated Erlin centers worldwide and more than 7,000 certified Erlin screeners. She is the author of Reading by the Colors and The Erlin Revolution, A Guide to Changing Your Perception and Your Life, How a Simple Method Can Change the Lives of Children and Adults with Learning Disabilities, ADHD, traumatic brain injuries, dyslexia, autism, headaches, medical conditions, and much more. So, Helen, welcome to the Coffee Clutch. Thank you. It's just a pleasure to be able to talk to you and talk to your audience today. Fantastic. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. This is um, just, just a really important topic, I think, and will be very enlightening. So, what I wanted to say, first of all, was you probably have one of the longer book titles I've seen in a long time. <laughs> but this is probably a testament to how important this topic is and, and how many people could potentially be helped. Uh, <laughs> I, I think also it's a testament to the fact that we underestimate visual perception and visual processing problems can relate to all of those areas. Um, and that's what we're ignoring. That's why it's an important topic to talk about. It is, and we'll talk some more specifically about it, but I, I love, I've heard some other of your interviews, and um, you just discuss, uh, you know, the lighting environment as one 
of the environmental stressors, um, and, and I really like to think of it that way, and that is why it's so broad. So anyway, let's um, not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with the basics. Tell us what Erlen syndrome is. Erlen syndrome is a, as we said, perceptual processing problem. Um, in some populations, they'll say it's visual overload that causes the brain to have to work way too hard to process visual information. Well, what's visual information? 80% of the information we receive is visual. And visual information is not processed by the, by the eye. The eye is a camera that just takes this information and directs it um, the correct part of the retina, and then it sends it to the brain. And it's the brain that has to process and integrate this information. Um, And that's why it's so important, because our brain really controls how we think, how we feel, how we act, how we perform, and our achievement. Um, And that's a critical issue. And it's an underlying issue that so often isn't addressed or um, can be a a cause for a lot of children and even adults to be misdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all. And then they play their life out struggling, blaming themselves, thinking that they're dumb, stupid, lazy, or bad because they're working so hard, but they can't achieve to their potential and they can't please their teachers or their parents. And that, to me, is a tragedy. Oh, it it absolutely is. And and I think also what's, you know, the person experiencing this, these symptoms, this visual stress, they don't, know that they are experiencing the world any differently than other people. So, of course, they only have themselves to blame in their mind. So it, it really is tragic. But you're making a very important point, that nobody knows what it's like for anybody else, so that you assume what you see and how you feel is normal. Um, I know people uh, who assume, well, you know, it's just a low-grade headache. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm sure everybody gets headaches. I've heard so often, well, doesn't everyone get a headache if they just read long enough? Or isn't uh, reading supposed to make you tired? Um, I thought that's what reading was all about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we just have no idea what it's supposed to be like. So. You just talked about the, you know, the visual stress, but could you could you tell us exactly what is happening? How how are people experiencing visual stress? What are the symptoms and what is the cause? I suppose. Well, let's talk about the symptoms first. Um, and it can be a variety of different symptoms because everybody's brain is different, so it's going to play itself out differently. Um, Your eyes shouldn't hurt, ache, burn, feel strained, dry, sandy, scratchy, itchy. You shouldn't get headaches or stomach aches or feel dizzy when you're doing visual activities such as reading, um, copying, math calculations, having to copy things from a board, 
reading on a computer screen, um, none of those activities should create any type of physical symptoms. So those are some of the symptoms you're looking for is what type, you know, if you're experiencing physical symptoms with reading or doing visually intensive activities. The other thing that most people aren't aware of is this kind of what I call one-on-one correlation. Um, Sunlight can be an immediate trigger for physical symptoms for some individuals. So you know, I'm going to go out, it's going to hurt, I'm going to put my sunglasses on. But those same physical symptoms are also experienced under fluorescent lighting, bright lights, um, and can be also triggered by glare and headlights at night. It's just that with fluorescent lighting, it's not such an immediate trigger. It's just a slower build, and so it takes a longer time for you to experience those physical symptoms. Um, So that's why we're working with the fact that there are children who sit in class under fluorescent lighting, and they start to feel uncomfortable. Their eyes may bother them. Their head may bother them. They start to feel fidgety. They start to feel anxious. They're wiggling all over the place. They have a hard time paying attention. And the sad thing is then they get misdiagnosed um, as potentially having ADD or ADHD. Medication doesn't work or they have side effects from medication or the parent has a real deep gut feeling that, I don't think this is really ADD because when they're not in class under the fluorescent lighting, when they're just doing something they like, they can attend for long periods of time. This would be the population that we have a solution for. Um, Same way with reading. Um, The longer you read for some individuals that ones we can work with, the harder it gets. So the child becomes distracted looks up, takes breaks, um, gets tired. And again, they get labeled as, what, ADD, ADHD, not paying attention, um, underachieving. Parents are always saying, just work harder, Um, pay attention. Well, what happens with this visual processing problem is the fact the longer you do it, the harder you try, the worse it gets. So it's like, pedaling harder and going backwards, of course you're going to stop. Of course you're going to try to get by with doing a minimal amount of reading or even not reading at all. Um, Some of the other symptoms we need to talk about are what may happen when you're reading. Visual processing can cause what we call distortions where the print may not be clear, it may not be stable, kids can see it or even adults jiggling, dancing, moving, but they don't know because when they look at anyone else's page, it looks exactly like theirs. So they just think, oh, okay, that's normal. They're just brighter than I am. They can do it, but I can't. And because of these distortions, and we can go on and talk about some of the different distortions, they're kind of fun, Um, what happens is then the child skips words or the adult skips words, skips lines, loses their place, thinks they move on to the next line, but they're back rereading the same line. It gets harder the longer they do it. And then that affects comprehension. If you have to work at perceiving, you can't 
work at perceiving, and comprehend at the same time. And so that comprehension suffers, and so does flow and fluency. They may read slower than other people. Um, They may have to reread. And most of the people we talk to have good reading skills but don't like to read. For some children, if the print is so distorted that words appear different or letters appear different, they're even struggling to learn how to read. Mm. Did I give out too much information all at once? (laughs) No. No, it's fantastic. I, 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 I hope bells are going off for people, but... There's even more symptoms, too. Um, what I learned about was depth perception. Um, that was a big one that I wasn't familiar with. Um, oh, I, yeah, we didn't even talk about all those. <laughs> yeah. I love depth perception because people say, oh, I'm just clumsy. I bump into things like table edges or door jams. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time, adults tell me. It's hard to judge, so... I kind of hesitate before turning left in front of oncoming traffic and everyone's saying, go ahead, turn, turn, turn. Or I'm uncomfortable and uncertain when making lane changes. Um, kids can it can play itself out in terms of ball sports and having difficulty tracking balls. <clears throat> um, so depth perception can be a problem. Reading music is like reading um you know, words or seeing, you know, numbers, except for it's a little harder sometimes because you have all these dots and all these lines. <clears throat> and I want to tell you one story. I had an adult who came in and was a piano tuner, and I said, have you ever done anything else? He said, yeah, I had. I'm I'm a very talented musician. I was even asked to go on tour with Peter, Paul, and Mary. Some of your younger audience won't know them. They were folk singing group was very popular. Um, And he said, but I couldn't do it because I can't sight read. And when we started working with him and came up with a solution, first with using colored overlays and put the overlay over his printed music, he just stared at it. And finally looked up and said to me, you mean the notes aren't supposed to be moving in time to the music? And I thought to myself, oh, you gave up a career because you didn't know that this was not supposed to happen or you weren't even aware that the notes were moving. Mm. And it just, um, I've heard you say before that um, people pay a price for this. Um, I wanted to speak to that a little bit. There was a great example. Yeah, that's one price that you pay is you're not able to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, it, the price you pay is self-concept. Um, kids feel as if they're working hard and they can't show you how hard they're working. They may take much longer to do their homework. They may go over and work so hard to study, but it comes to tests and they're just not achieving. Um, You know, I I always feel um, as if I, I wish we could 
be automatically screening every child in school. This should be just part of what they do in the school system so that every child can show their potential and do whatever they want to do with their life, and this isn't inhibiting it. Um, again, you know, I, I, it, it covers such a wide variety of different populations, not just those who are learning with learning problems or reading problems or dyslexia or attentional problems, but even your gifted student may have this. And it's easy to get by in the K through high school system without reading or doing a minimal amount of reading, um, especially if you have good listening skills and a good memory. And a lot of times what happens is these children do very well, and they get A's, and then they go to college. And for college, you have to read textbooks, and all of a sudden they hit a brick wall. And within the first semester, they are so far behind, and they become anxious and depressed. And all of a sudden, they're getting, again, misdiagnosed, and they have to drop out of school, and they're put on a lot of medications that they shouldn't be on because because nobody asked the right questions and nobody picked up on the fact that reading was difficult and why reading was difficult for them. Um, And I think we all want to be able to um, really, if we have a skill or a talent, use it. it. And it's really sad if this is hampering or impeding you from being able to do that. I hear a lot of times, well, you know, if you can't read, it's okay. You know, just get everything on auditory, yeah, oral books where it's, you know, you can just the tapes and listen to books. But you can't do that for everything in life. Reading is important, and you need to be able to read. And what we're talking about, again, is you have the reading skills, but what is it that makes your reading slow and inefficient and comprehension's a problem, that it's so uncomfortable that you don't want to do it? Think Erwin, because that's what we deal with. And I, I want to talk about something that uh, I feel very strongly about, and I, and I know that you do too. And 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 afterwards, I want to talk some more specifics about what is actually happening in the brain and uh, how you diagnose this and whatnot. But this is more of a general point. When I hear heard your story, um, and well, perhaps I could ask you to to tell that story about how you came about this, and then I'll I'll add on to that. Okay, I'll go first. How's that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, um, I have a background. Well, you didn't mention I have a background in research, and then I became a school psychologist. And over the 15-year period of time, I was tracking the children who were referred to me because they were struggling in school. And oh, I became more and more disenchanted that the psychoeducational batteries we do as school psychologists and educational um, psychologists are not identifying all those children who were struggling. Because so often, I would my tests would say, nope, 
can identify the child. The child doesn't isn't cannot identify the child as having a learning disability. And the teacher would just literally take me and say, come sit down on, in the classroom and just watch what happens to the child in the classroom trying to perform because the child can't do it. How can you tell me that there's nothing wrong just because your tests say there's nothing wrong with this child? Um, and the parents, because I used to run parent groups, who would say to me, the school thinks the child is doing well. Well, the only reason the child is doing well is because I'm sitting with them every night and I'm working with them. They don't see the amount of effort that I'm putting in so that this child can do well. They're not seeing the amount of energy and effort that this child is putting in to do well. They just only see the output, the end of it, that the child turned in the homework, the child was able to do the homework, the child was able to pass the test. And I kept saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, Because... When this happens, everybody pays the price. The teacher feels badly because they feel that there's something that they're not doing um, to help this child, that they're inadequate in some way. The parent feels bad because they're being told you shouldn't be helping the child or you're not helping the child enough. Everybody's getting blamed, but again, you come back to who pays the worst price, and that's the child. Um, themselves because it affects their self-concept. And so seeing this for 15 years and watching these same children grow up from elementary school to middle school to high school and realizing that this problem didn't go away and it didn't get better and having parents say to me, you know, I'm so you know, especially with the young children, the parents would be told, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's just maturational, things will get better. And the parent would say to me, I'm so mad and so angry at the school for saying it because I had the same problem, and I'm an adult, and I know for myself that this problem doesn't go away and it doesn't get better, and I can't get anyone to listen to me. Um, so, <laughs> I was very lucky in 1980, this goes way back, um, when I was asked to start one of the first programs for adults with learning disabilities at a university level. And I thought, what a wonderful population for me to work with, because nobody can tell me that the problem is motivational. Um, because they work three to four times harder to get to a university level. Nobody could tell me that the problem is maturational. (laughs) They're over 18 years of age, um, and it's not going to go away. And this is exactly what I want to look at. I want to look at the issues that we're not picking up, the questions that we're not asking that stays with an individual for a lifetime. And I did something which sounds very Uh, It's strange for me to say because it's unique in education, and it shouldn't be. We don't ask the person who has the problem to tell you about it. We tell them what's wrong with them in education. We give them a label. Um, We write up long reports that say auditory processing, visual processing. We don't tell anybody what it is, what it means, and never go back to the individual themselves and say, is this what's what's happening? Is this a problem for you? Um, So as simple as that sounds, (laughs) Mm. um, 
I and it is, isn't it? It's such a simple concept. Even children can tell you if you ask your questions in the right way. So, um I started a research component as part of my program and uh, it was the adults themselves that helped me to start asking the questions in the right way. Let me give you an example of that. If you ask somebody <laughs> who struggles with reading, tell me about reading. What's what's reading like for you? You'll hear, I don't know. I don't like it. It's boring. Ask the same person, whether it's a child or adult, the question in another way. I want you to think about reading not reading for pleasure, but textbook reading, not when you start, but when you get to that point that you want to stop reading. How do your eyes feel? How does your head feel? How do you feel? And you might hear things like, ah, my eyes are strained and my head bothers me. And at that point that those things are happening, how does the page look? And again, you're going to hear, may hear things like, oh, um, I think things kind of jiggle or I have to kind of put my hands on the side of the page to hold the words on the page um, and a whole bunch of things. Um, it's hard. I see these rivers and patterns on the page. Things are flashing at me. Um, so you're getting totally different responses. And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, I'm a not just I'm a good reader, I'm what I would call a proficient reader who le- reads for very long stretches at a time without ever looking up or taking a break. I have a real advantage in school and in the workplace because I can consume material for long periods easily. And I'm saying, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, none of those things happen to me. So I think if I had been on the continuum and had any of these problems, I probably would have dismissed it and never discovered Erlen syndrome. (laughs) But what I'm out to do is make the whole world like me. (laughs) And um, so that started this whole thing. It was like amazing to realize that it's not in the literature. We're not asking these questions as part of reading tests or any test, whether it's psychological, um, educational, any type of testing, is not asking these questions because the majority of the population doesn't experience these kinds of problems, so they think everybody's like them. So what I found out is I have two different populations and neither of them talk to each other. (laughs) So um, I went about documenting all the different distortions that were occurring on the printed page, and it took me 1,600 adults before I didn't hear something new. Um, And then I thought, well, you know, now they have a way of describing what's going on for reading instead of saying, I don't do it, I don't like it. They can be very specific. When I read, this is what I see, this is what's happening, and this is how it feels. And there's got to be a professional out there and a technology that's going to be able to help them. <clears throat> so we had a panel of ophthalmologists, optometrists, developmental optometrists, neurologists, reading specialists, psychologists, um, I think a couple of more professionals, um, evaluate 35 of these adults. And any recommendation they made, if it hadn't been tried before for that individual, we implemented. And I thought, great, you know, 
Somebody's going to have something, and they're going to come back to me and say, it's great, my problem is solved. Well, at the end of nine months, I have 35 adults back with the same complaints that they had before we started this whole process. And it was only then that I said to myself, "Uh uh-oh, I can't leave these adults like this. I need to figure out a way to make it so that their reading experience is like my reading experience so they can be successful in college and successful later in life. Should I continue with the story? <laughs> sure. Um, so the next part is how you discovered the color. Yeah. Right. People always think it's just easy I discovered color, but there's this long story leading yeah. up to it. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I think it's really important. Um. And, and, you know, re- remember, I'm a therapist and I'm a parent and a mother, so I always want to make things better for everybody. So I said, no, 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 I'll figure out what's going on. I'll find a solution. Um, and there was an, months and months and months and months in where um, I investigated any theory or any method that had ever been implicated as affecting reading. Um, we looked at tons of issues. Um, and I had a group of graduate students who also worked with me, um, and nothing was making any difference. And one day, um, because remember, these were very bright adults who had been verbal and but was just not succeeding up to their potential in school, who had been diagnosed with all kinds of diagnosis in schools, learning disabled, dyslexic, reading problems, whatever, uh, LD, and their parents, they had been tested and tested, and their parents had paid out a lot of money to have all kinds of interventions tried. And one of the interventions, and so they brought them all in for me to see and so we could experiment with them. And there used to be a theory that in order to read, you needed a dominant eye. And if you didn't have a dominant eye, what they would do is they train it by putting you in red-green glasses and putting a red-colored overlay down on the page. So the eye, the red-green eye, which was green and the page was red, that blocked out so you weren't actually using that eye to read. And what you were doing is you were reading through only one eye, and that's what they thought they were doing in terms of training a dominant eye. So we started experimenting with it, and we put the red overlay down, and we never even got to try it because the first person who saw the red overlay said, you know, Helen, you know how we're trying to get things for not moving on the page? It's not perfect, but it's starting to be less in terms of movement. And that was the eureka moment. Um, And then we went ahead, and I got all kinds, all the colors possible um, that we used in terms of for lights, um, theater lights, so they're theater gels, and we had each of the students who were reporting these type of difficulties. Um, we worked with them, found a color theater theatrical gel, and had them use it, and have them record any changes that were made in terms of flow, fluency, comprehension, all their complaints and comfort. Um, and at the end of four weeks, they all came back and said. Oh, they were just ecstatic. I mean, they were telling anyone and everyone. They were reading now. They were reading their textbooks. They were doing better in school. It was so much easier and faster. And I thought, great, this is wonderful. I felt really good until they started complaining and saying, okay, 
Helen, you made it so much easier for us in terms of reading textbooks, but you have to understand that those same problems occur if we try to read something from whiteboards, interactive boards, and I'll add the computer screen and today iPads and iPhones. Um, So they're the ones that educated me to the fact, which I should have known, that this is not a reading problem as much as a visual processing problem. So if your eyes are open, it's affecting almost everything that you're doing. Um, And I thought, hmm, okay. Don't worry, I'll figure out a solution. <laughs> and um, thought, well, if color works on the printed page, I wonder if color is going to work just as well if we use them as glasses. And found out a number of things. One is the same color that we use that they could use to change and put over the print to change the print color so that the background, they're reading now black print on a red background, a black print on a blue background, whatever it is. That color isn't the same color they end up wearing. Um, And so I had to design a method to determine what color you need to wear, just as I had to design a method to determine what overlay you needed, just as I had to determine a screening test to be able to very accurately determine those individuals who this method could help versus those individuals who it it was not going to help. And in addition, to be very professional and honest, you want to be able to separate your population and never overpromise and never have people spend money for something that's not going to work. And we also wanted to make sure we could identify if you have this kind of a problem, whether using color would make a slight, moderate, or considerable difference. Very good. Very good. Long story. It took a lot of years to get there. Oh, <laughs> so this is what I wanted to... Yeah, the yeah, research sure. <laughs> um, was, took three years. And it was interesting because at one point, 60 Minutes Australia um, wanted to do a show to create awareness of this problem in Australia. And I was very, very hesitant about doing it. And it was the adults who convinced me. They said two things. One is we've been working with this and using this long enough to know that, A, it works, and, B, that once you change things and made them better, that it stayed that way. Because the worst thing would be to make it better, and we know what it's supposed to be like, and then for it to go back to the way it was. So you have no reason not to tell people, and you need to tell people, we wish we had known about this when we were younger. You must get the word out. And so it was because the the adults themselves that we did 60 Minutes Australia, um, and that's what started the information. And here we are 30-plus years later, and everyone who comes to us says, you're one of the best-kept secrets. Why, why, why? Didn't I hear about this years Mm -hmm. ago? Why wasn't I aware so I could get help years ago? So that's one of the reasons we're doing this radio show. Yes, and and the audience of the Coffee Clutch uh, is a very targeted audience, I think, and uh, I think you're going to help a lot of people. The one point that I really wanted to emphasize uh, emphasize and and it's not specifically related to Erlen uh, syndrome but 
I relate so much and I respect so much the fact that you changed how you're asking questions and you did not accept something as the end. I guess what I'm trying to say is I meet a lot of parents and their children are struggling, but, you know, they even though they know there's still some issues going on, I feel like they sort of end the search or they'll say things like, well, my child is just unmotivated with a period at the end. And I want to say unmotivated, why? You know, unmotivated is not the end. Um, And so that's what I think is so important. And that's what I try and I try and help uh, people in my daily life with that too. uh, People who are looking for answers and uh, I'm assuming that you would agree with me on that. Absolutely. Um, I've never heard a child who purposely doesn't want to read or avoids reading, a child who's purposely unmotivated, Um, a child who makes up headaches and stomach aches or being tired or sleepy. They don't do that to get out of work. There's a real reason. And parents need to not just accept it, even though they've been told that there's not a problem going on. They need to ask why. There's always a why. No child wants to be bad. No child wants to not succeed. Not true. There's always a reason why. They may not know it because people didn't ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. I just I think that's such an underlying point, and I just can't emphasize that enough with people. But I feel like we're getting lost. There's so much to talk about here. Um, we actually have about ten more minutes, and so... Let's try and get through some of these things. First, I want to um, hear the percentages of different populations that you can help with your Erlen method. Right. Um, When we're looking at the general population, kids who have not been identified as struggling in school and gifted children and adults, um, it's 12 to 14% of that population who are working harder than they should be, who are paying a price and don't realize it, it's triggering physical symptoms. When when we've researched and looked at children who have been um, labeled as having um, learning disabilities, um, dyslexia, we're looking at this occurring in 46% of that population, and these are individuals who have then are being misdiagnosed. So no matter what you do, they're only going to be able to achieve just so far. And that misdiagnosis bothers me a lot. Um, in terms and of, I, think, I I would like just to say, and, and a lot of people say this, but I it's worth repeating that it's so important to look beyond the label and look at the symptoms. And I underscore what you say wholeheartedly that kids will tell you their truth and we as adults have to learn to listen to them and, and accept that. Um, That's a lovely way of expressing it. Absolutely lovely. Yeah. Um, in terms of the ADD, ADH population, it's about a third who are being misdiagnosed and they actually have Erlen. Um, so we're talking large populations. In terms of autism, uh, the, the number in autism or the percent, I've heard different percentages um, in terms of those who are dealing with um, sensory overload and particularly visual sensory overload, um, and it ranges anywhere from 33% or the Geneva study with uh, 
and this the largest autism center in Canada, and they surveyed and looked at every one of the sensory issues in terms of sensory overload, and over 90% of their population, they reported visual sensory overload. So it, the, the statistics are pretty staggering in the different populations. Mm. And then there's uh, also just a hit on that you're helping people just with migraines and headaches and traumatic brain injuries as well. Yeah, quick point on this is we didn't mention it. This problem is hereditary. Mm-hmm. It can be hereditary or acquired. Now, the fun part of this this is that we have self-tests, and the parents can take the self-test for the child and also start taking the self-test for themselves. Knowing this, this problem can be hereditary, inherited. And for the child, it's a wonderful quick self-concept change because when I say to the child, you know, this problem's hereditary, and therefore you get to blame either your mom or blame your dad or blame both. It's not your fault. And the child just smiles. It's like a burden was lifted off of them after being told it's been their fault for so long. Um, I do want to quickly mention the fact you can acquire these symptoms, especially from head injuries, concussions, whiplash, TBIs. Um, The assumption is for these kids who are playing certain sports with their football and soccer um, and that if they've had a slight concussion or maybe even not diagnosed necessarily with a concussion, um, that the problems will go away. No, they're just not tracking them. Um, For some, they will, but a lot of them acquire and light sensitivity, headaches, or migraines. Um, We work with autoimmune problems because the population gets more light sensitive, and again, it can trigger headaches and migraines. Um, so a lot of people who have headaches and migraines aren't aware that their trigger is lighting, um, especially sunlight, fluorescent lighting, and it can be even dim lighting, uh, headlights at night, and also reading or doing any visually intensive activities. So we see a lot of individuals who are just searching because they know they have headaches and migraines, and they're aware that they're light sensitive. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had parents bring in children as young as five and say, I know that my child's light sensitive. They go outside. They want to go in the shade. And they're complaining of headaches and stomach aches at five. And we have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on every medical professional. And nobody can figure out what's going on, but they give it a label. For adults, it's called stress headaches. (laughs) And I mean, yeah, it can be stress, but it can be the environment that's stressing them. (laughs) Right. Okay, so you mentioned the self-test. So if somebody suspects this, either for um, their child or themselves, process that they should follow. Um, one is there's a lot of information and the self-test on the website, and it's Erlen, I-R-L-E-N, dot com. And there's another fun thing you can do when you get onto the website. You can, there's little colored glasses up on the top right-hand corner. You can click on them and change the background of the color of the computer screen and try reading yourself on the different colored overlays. Um, we have different sections talking about it um, because it manifests itself differently um, for autism and ADD and dyslexia and learning problems and gifted. So we've done that. Um, and head injuries. Um, so the first thing is get on the website, look at it. If you want to, read my books <laughs> or one of my books, um, either one. Um, and then if this resonates with you, we have 
uh, Erlen Clinics and Erlen Screeners worldwide and all over the U.S., um, and they're listed on the website. And the first stage is what we call screening to determine exactly if you are a candidate and if you are, what of all your symptoms, what are they? So now we put language to it, and you're aware of it and we're aware of it, and to make sure we can eliminate not some but all your symptoms, and we do that using colored overlays, which are plastic sheets. Um, and then, if you're a candidate, you get one of those plastic sheets to go home and use to make sure it makes a moderate to considerable difference. And if it does, you go on to the second appointment and last appointment where we need to come up with a color for you to wear. And you asked me before how that works. Um, if your eyes are open, your brain is being flooded by light, and light is composed of all the colors of the rainbow traveling at different speeds. And what's happening for some of the population we work with is that some of those colors or wavelengths of light, um, the timing is off. And it's like static for your brain. And your brain is struggling. And that's creating the physical symptoms and the distortions. And then we have to go in, and it's a very technical process, and totally customized for each individual's brain because everybody has a different brain. Um, <laughs> but we have to go in and figure out which of those wavelengths of light we need to filter, and if so, individually, how much. Um, and that's why we can achieve such um, dramatic changes across the board, as well as the changes are immediate. And it's not a method for reading. It's taking away that underlying issue that's holding you back from being able to learn the skills or utilize them for any length of time effectively and efficiently. And what do you typically, what is your typical feedback for somebody for whom the Erlen method works? Um, <laughs> life-saving, life-changing, amazing, um, wish I had known about this years and years ago. Um, we get candy and flowers and hugs. <laughs> oh. it's, it's just, someone said to me, once are you ever going to retire? And I said, I can't think of anything else in this world that I could do where you get to change lives and you get to change not one life, but many, many, many lives. There's nothing more rewarding than that. I'm never going to retire. Uh, and so quickly, too. I mean, it's if it works, you know, it's not always a cure for everything. It could be a piece of the puzzle, as you say. Right. Mm -hmm. But for some people, it's it can be everything, and there's but not very many not, occasions. You know, yeah, but you can, can have, have like a turnaround that quickly. I'm sorry, you can have many layers, and at least this one is the one layer that you can immediately take away. Mm -hmm. And at least that makes it easier and easier to identify your other layers that are going mm -hmm. on. Exactly. And I think I might be selfish here, and, and I think I've told you what my how my son described what it was like when he looked through the right colored lenses for the first time. And um, it's pretty special, so I'm, I'm going to share it if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, I asked him, can you describe the feeling? when you look through those lenses for the first time. And he told me, you're a medieval knight, and you just slayed the biggest dragon in the land. As a reward, the king of Scotland gives you a key to the country, and you can get anything you want for free. You go home, 
You put your keys in a special glass case you've waited for your entire life, and you feel like you conquered the world. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah, go. And pretty profound. <laughs> and as a parent, you want to cry, right? <laughs> oh, oh boy. It's amazing. Well, um, we're going to have to go. Maybe we'll do another show sometime and talk some more details. But I encourage everybody who has heard anything that resonates with them to go to um, Erlin.com and take a look. And also don't forget um, www.thecoffeeclutch.com to find information about, gosh, almost any topic you can think of at this point. There's so many wonderful interviews. And Helen, it's just such a privilege, and I really appreciate you talking with us. And also, lastly, I want to mention that uh, we're doing this interview uh, in a way to help kick off International Erlen Awareness Week, which is October 20th through the 24th. If there's anything you want to mention about that, Helen? Um, it's happening worldwide, and we're asking, we're, everyone's spreading the word, but we're also doing a turnout July's for one minute. <laughs> to make oh, people, turn out the fluorescent lights. <laughs> yeah, turn out the fluorescent lights, right, to make people aware right. that not everyone can handle it. And just to remember, it's spelled I-R-L-E-N, and in terms of the website, all right? Very good. All right, Helen, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.